Welcome to This Is Your Life with Michael Hyatt, where our goal is to give you the clarity, courage, and commitment you need to do what matters. My name is Michelle Cachat. I'm your co-host today, and I'm sitting in the studio with Michael Hyatt. Hey there, Michael. Hello, Michelle. Well, the old model of leadership is all about having all the answers. And according to that theory, you get to be you get to the top by being able to answer all the tough questions yep. that come up with compelling answers. You know, you just have to be always on your feet, always know that's the right. answers to everything. But there's a new model of leadership that's taking root, and we've seen it already many, many times, and that's this. The leader's primary role is to initiate conversations that bring out the best thinking of the tribe and direct those conversations toward a positive outcome. That's exactly right. It's more of a dialogue, not a monologue. So today we're going to talk about how you can create and lead transformational conversations because it's not always easy. No. And there's some people that are naturally good at those kind of conversations, but the vast majority, it takes some effort, some practice to be able to do that. It does. And the good news, you can get better at this. And you really can bring out the best thinking of the people that you're leading so that it's not just left up to you to be the smartest guy in the room, but with the collective effort of everybody involved, you can get to the best answer with the most resources to accomplish the biggest result. Okay, so that's one benefit. So I want you to give me some others. So when we create and lead transformational conversations versus having all the answers, yeah. what what's really the benefit to this, many different benefits to this? Well, in addition to getting the best thinking, the most creative thinking, you also get collective buy-in. So that okay. people don't feel like they're just following somebody else's program where they don't have ownership, but they feel like they've co-created this together mm -hmm. with you. So there is this collective ownership so that everybody's rowing together in the same direction, really mm -hmm. pulling for, for a big result. I would imagine, too, that if there's any misunderstanding, that becomes very clear during that conversation as well. It does, and that's a, that's a huge advantage because sometimes leaders think they're being clear when they're broadcasting and they're just kind of dictating and mm -hmm. giving a, a, a monologue. But when you're in a conversation with somebody and you have the opportunity to ask questions, to ask that second question and keep peeling it back and get people's uh, feedback, mm -hmm. then you find out really if you've communicated. And communication is not complete until the receiver receives the communication. So it's long been thought that a strong leader is decisive and unyielding, but this approach basically implies the opposite, that leadership requires a bit of flexibility and openness and transparency. Yep. So my question is this, is there a risk in this approach? Is there a risk that a leader who invites input is soft? Um, possibly. Okay. Um, I think it depends on what happens after that conversation. The way I've always done this is uh, guide the conversation bring out the best thinking, have vigorous debate, uh, create an environment where it's safe for dissent so there can really be some good mm -hmm. uh, give and take, pushing and shoving even. But at the end of the day, the leader's got to take all of that and set the direction. So the buck, it, what you can't do is just sort of uh, defer to a committee or a collective decision. So you get the input, you get the best thinking, but at the end of the day, the leader's job is to assume accountability, responsibility, uh, set the direction for the organization and lead from that position. So just to clarify, before we dive into these strategies for um, for initiating and leading transformational conversations, we're going to talk some about having these kind of conversations in an organization. So in a business setting, maybe with your team or yep. a board or whatever it may be. However, this very much applies to any kind of situation where you are in relationship. So you can do this with your children, if you have a group of friends, or even if you're just going out to lunch with one friend, but you really want to stimulate a more in-depth transformational conversation. You can use these same strategies in that kind you of totally environment can. as well. Uh, ministry context, nonprofit context, just about any uh, situation where you're with other people and you really want to 
uh, utilize all the resources that are mm-hmm. at your disposal. Yes. You know, and it's so interesting. We can learn so much from other people. And sometimes we satisfy ourselves with such superficial conversations. And this process mm-hmm. really kind of forces us to take that next step and get into a place where we're really, truly, uh, well, the, exactly what we're talking about, transformational conversations. It creates life change for all of us. Yeah. And sometimes it's as simple as you're trying to create unity on a team or some sense of uh, uh, being in, in it together, a sense of team mm-hmm. work when you don't have a lot of time to create that. And you and I were talking offline before we began the podcast at our recent platform conference. Um, I was sitting at a table with a group of the speakers. And one of the things that we've done differently at that conference is that at a lot of conferences, they have a speaker dinner at the end of the conference. Mm-hmm. So there's no sense of teamwork going into the conference. Everybody's just kind of a hired gun. They come in, they deliver their speech, and they leave. One of the things we try to do at the platform conference is have people come together, speakers come together, create a sense of teamwork at the very beginning, and then go in as a unified force uh, aligned around a vision of what we're trying to create Mm -hmm. over a few days. And so one of the ways we did that at this last platform conference at the table I was sitting at, we didn't have all the speakers at one table, but at the table I was sitting at is I took the initiative to lead us in a conversation about what we wanted to see over the course of the next few days. And I shared my vision, they shared their vision. And by the time we were done, there was this collective ownership. And so then we went into the, to the week with this shared ownership of what we were trying to create. And it becomes powerful and even palatable. We had a lot of comments on the reader surveys. Yes. I've seen those. Mm-hmm. And people were just saying, man, I just, I loved how invested the speakers were, mm-hmm. that they stayed the whole time, that they were in each other's sessions, that it just seemed like you guys were pulling together yes. for a common outcome. Definitely. And that doesn't happen by accident. No. It takes a process. It takes mm-hmm. an intention. And that's part of what we're going to talk about here. I love that. Okay. So we're going to deliver today, we're going to talk about 10 different strategies to uh, lead transformational conversations. What's the very first strategy? Well, the first one is to select the topic. Or another way to say that is you've got to narrow the focus. You okay. know, you're not going to this conversation just to talk about anything, but there's usually a problem you're trying to solve, or there's a dream you're trying to chase, or maybe there's a product or a service mm-hmm. that you're trying to create, but you've got to get very specific on what the topic is. And I think that's part of the role of the leader is to set the parameters of the discussion so that it doesn't just be, and we've all been part of these, where these sort of wide ranging discussions where everybody's chasing rabbit trails and it doesn't really go anywhere. Uh You've got to be clear as a leader, what is the outcome you want? Hmm. Like we're here today to brainstorm how to create a great conference. Or we're here today to talk about this new product, or we're here today to consider this product that's being proposed to us. Whatever it is, you as a leader have got to select the topic and select select the parameters. Sure. So select a topic. You do all this. And by the way, these first couple strategies are really what happens before you ever meet and have that face-to-face interaction. While you're calling the meeting, really. Yes. Now, they may not know until they get there, but you're not showing up unclear about what you're trying to accomplish. So you don't want to, uh, let's say you're sitting down with just one person doing this. You don't sit down at the table and all of a sudden pull out your notebook and start selecting a That's topic. right. <laughs> or hand them an agenda. I mean, you might do that. You, you know, could, it depends but, on the meeting. But uh, but no, but you you go into it with an intention. Kind of think of it through it ahead of time, that and it, intentionality. And it could be just as simple as, I just want to deepen this bond. Yes, You totally. know, I want to ask questions. I, I always think of the outcome first, but what is it that I want to be different as a result of this mm-hmm. encounter with this person? You know, I'm going to go uh, to dinner after we're done here uh, with my wife, Gail, hopefully you, unless you have another commitment. And I, there, I think, what, what's the outcome? Yes. Well, I'd like us to know each other better, to deepen our friendship. Yes. You know, I don't really have much of an agenda beyond that. But that requires a, a, some give and take, mm-hmm. uh, being conscious of the conversation and where it's going. 
what questions I might ask, all the rest. Exactly. You know, it's occurring to me, even as we're sitting here, that these strategies we're walking through are basically what we do every time we record this podcast. Because we come into this as an interaction, and we establish a a topic, and we'll continue walking through this. But this is basically what we do every season, every episode. I can't believe I didn't think of that before now, but thank you. You're right. (laughs) You're welcome. No problem. That's why I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. So the first strategy, select a topic. What is the second strategy? The second one is just create a list of possible questions related to the topic. You know, questions are incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. And so often before we go to a meeting, like let's say that we go to a mixer or we show up at a meeting and we're really focused on on what it is we're going to say. Yes. Instead of what we're going to ask. Oh, goodness. I have done that, too. I mean, I caught myself doing that way too many times in the past. Oh, I tried to change that, but where I would go, and I was so caught up in myself. And I think, oh, really? Well, years ago, um, maybe three years ago, Gail and I discovered, I can't, I can't think of the name of the product now, but on Amazon, we found a list of these table cards uh-huh. that had one question per card, and they were by topic. So you could do it with the family, you could do it with friends. Mm-hmm. And they were awesome. So we would, you know, we didn't have to do the thinking mm-hmm. so much, but we would show up at dinner. We'd pull out the table cards and we just pull out a question and say, tonight we're going to talk about this. Oh, I love it. It was, I mean, sometimes we would stay there. We didn't do it that many times, but, but sometimes we'd stay there for two, three hours just talking about one question and where that question would lead us. But there's a huge power in questions. Yes, true. And people, I think, love to be asked questions and love to give their opinion, but Usually we think of it in terms of, I want to get my answer. Mm-hmm. We're thinking about ourselves, not the other person. Our family uses something called the ungame. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you've heard of that. I have but heard of that. We have um, a couple different boxes of cards. And again, it's called the ungame. And they're similar where they have questions and they're all different levels. So you can buy for children or for teenagers or for general mm-hmm. family questions. But at the end of dinner, and we don't do this every night, but we do this some, each person gets one card and they get to answer their unique question. Mm. And the rules are is you have to let them talk. Nobody talks over them and we all listen to what they have Ah. to say. But it's the same idea. So for children, it would be, you know, something like, what's your favorite food and why? Or um, uh, if you could spend your afternoon doing anything, what would you choose to do or whatever? And you actually get to, well, first of all, it gives these small children, you know, my seven and eight year old, an opportunity to talk about their interests and to think through it. They feel respected Mm -hmm. and considered and part of the team and... But what I like about what you shared about the table cards and me sharing about the ungame is even if you can't come up with a list, there are tools out there. That's right. Like the ungame you can purchase on Amazon for, I think, eight bucks or something like that. But it just helps to kind of give you some ideas to get started. Uh, Oftentimes when when Gail and I will go to dinner with another couple, we'll talk on the car on the way to the dinner appointment. Okay, now what questions do we want to ask? Oh, I love that. What do we know about that couple? What would we like to learn? What would we like to discover? And it really. I think I've been at a dinner like that before, where you must have plotted ahead of time. <laughs> I'm pretty certain. Well, we, we do it almost every time, uh-huh. and it really does open up the conversation uh-huh. and deepen the relationship. Oh yeah, I love it. I mean, I, I actually do remember one particular time having dinner with you, and actually Gail really? wasn't there, but your children were there, and when we were in Portland having dinner, and all ah. the questions that were going back and forth, and I mean, it was really to this day one of my. Favorite meals with friends because of the wow. the questions that were asked over the course of a couple hours. I remember that dinner, and, and my girls are actually very good at this. Mm-hmm. And I, I think they've learned a lot from their mother uh, sitting at our table. But asking those questions, and one rule we have, which is not on our list, actually, and it's not appropriate in every situation, but almost every situation, the rule is one conversation. Oh, so, so you if, don't have little groups of conversations? You don't have side conversations. Nice. And I think... 
well, I know I learned that from. I learned it from Lucy Swindoll, who's a fellow introvert. By the and way, I love Lucy. I do too. I just love her. And for those of us that are introverts, we're very sensitive to noise and we get easily mm-hmm. distracted when there's a lot of noise going on. So she just said at a dinner party we attended at her home, she said, look, I only have one rule. I'm thrilled that you're here. We've got a great meal planned, but I only have one rule. And that rule is that we have one conversation. So I just want to ask you to, uh, to refrain from the, uh, the, or avoid the temptation to have side conversations. If you have something to say, say it to the whole group and let's just have one conversation. I love that. And it went on for hours and it was so rich and so meaningful. And I did that at the speaker dinner at the platform uh-huh. conference. I said, this is the only rule, one conversation. And it was powerful. Okay, I'm adopting that rule. Okay. That's probably Good. my little favorite family. little nugget right now so far on this podcast. Okay, so the first strategy, select a topic. Second, create a list of possible questions related to the topic. What's number three? Third one is create an environment that's safe for dissent. And here's what I mean by that. I mean, you want to give people the freedom to disagree with you. Mm-hmm. So that if they have a different opinion, a different point of view, you want them to be able to express that. It's not that, uh, you know, if you don't have that rule, suddenly the, the, the debate goes away or people just, you just might think that everybody agrees mm-hmm. with you. It's just that it's not surfaced. Mm-hmm. It's not expressed. So you might as well make it safe for people to give that. You'll be better informed as a mm-hmm. leader. You'll get information that you wouldn't get otherwise. And you're able to fold that perspective into the conversation and come up with a better decision than uh, without it. So briefly tell me, uh, what does that look like? How do you create safety? Well, I would just, I would state it. I, was, I would just say, look, I just want you guys to know, and I'm not giving lip service to this, it's okay to disagree with me. If there's something that I say that you disagree with, mm-hmm. that uh, you may feel passionately that you disagree with it. You know, obviously I know that we're all going to be respectful with one another. I want to be respectful towards you if I disagree. But if you don't express that, you're doing a disservice to the group. Now, that's the easy part. The hard part is when it happens. <laughs> not to react. Not respond, to react yes. because you've got to reaffirm it in real time. If you just go silent, like if you ignore it, that's not good either. Uh-huh. So you got to affirm the person, whether you're just saying, you know, Jim, thank you for having the courage to say that. You're probably not the only one thinking it. My guess is that there are other people here that share uh-huh. that same perspective. And that's totally legit. I want to hear that. Let me tell you what I heard you say. And then to repeat that to them. And then to ask another question or two to even dive deeper. People, um, if they feel like they're being heard... They can almost live with any decision. Yes, it's true. You know, within the bounds of I even feel like morality. that. And um, family, marriage, whatever. If I feel like yeah. I'm heard, I can go with just about anything. That's right. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the key ways of creating an alignment in, in a team, too, is make sure everybody has an opportunity to express themselves fully mm-hmm. and that they know that they've been heard. And then you can take the group just about anywhere. All right. So create an environment that's safe for dissent. What is the fourth strategy? I think set a time frame. I think that if you don't have a boundary on this, mm-hmm. and now I'm not talking about like casual dinner conversation, yes. but but there's got to be an ending point. Or... But in a meeting, okay. there's got to be an ending point. Otherwise, the conversation could become unfocused and it can become a distraction. So to have right. an end time is good. And then really adhere to that. I usually announce that at the beginning of a meeting. And I'm as disciplined about the end times as I am about the beginning times. Okay. And I've been in those meetings before, you probably have too, where a leader wasn't disciplined about the end time, had no consideration for the fact that I had other appointments or other commitments, and the meeting just wouldn't end. Yes. You know, you just go like, dude, land the plane. I know, there's nothing worse. We're done. (laughs) It's good to also, you know, communicate that to those you're talking with. They know what's coming. They're not constantly looking at their watches. They know what's coming. All right, let's go on to the fifth strategy. What's that? I would just say open up with a question, you know, and I would say open up with a question 
uh, in the group that's pretty low risk. You know, don't go to that that one that really requires them to disclose something personal yes. or embarrassing. But ask something that's A low that's risk easy. question. I like that. So when I used to do the, we've talked about this before, but the pizza with the prez meeting mm-hmm. with uh, my employees at Thomas Nelson, I did that department by department. First question I would ask is I would say, um, okay, it's a Saturday when you're at home. What is your favorite thing to do on Saturday if you have total control of your schedule and yeah. if money's not an option? What do you like to do on a Saturday? And I'll go first. And then I would just share what I like to uh-huh. do on a Saturday morning. And then that was something that was kind of fun and you learned a lot about people, but it was safe. It was an mm-hmm. easy first question. That's great. All right. So we've gone through five of the strategies on how to create and lead transformational conversations. And we're just now, you know, the first four, we're just kind of preparing ahead of time. On this fifth one, we're actually starting that conversation. We have five more strategies. However, we're going to take a little break, but stick with us. We'll be right back. As a busy and successful blogger, podcaster, author, speaker, and consultant, I'm constantly asked about the tools I use to get it all done. Now, for the first time, I'm going to pull back the curtain and let you peek inside my toolbox to see the software and hardware I use for everything from blogging and podcasting to productivity, social media, and speaking, plus so much more. You can't buy inside my toolbox, but you can get it for free by subscribing to my free email newsletter. When you subscribe, you'll receive my newest content right in your inbox. You'll never have to worry about missing an important post or update again. To get your free copy of the Inside My Toolbox ebook, visit michaelhyatt.com and enter your name and email address into the form on the page. Don't waste any more time or money using the wrong tools. Sign up today at michaelhyatt.com. So today we're talking about how to create and lead transformational conversations, because as we've already discussed, uh, leadership really is more about kind of honing in the ideas of the organization, kind of opening it up to the best possible ideas from multiple people on your staff, and then pointing it in the right direction. So it's not about you having all the answers anymore. That's right. It's about really tapping into your resources, which are your people Mm -hmm. that uh, you're working with, or if you're talking about family, whatever. So we've gone through five of those strategies for creating and leading transformational conversations. Now we have opened up the question, what is next? The next one, number six, is listen with your heart. Now, just listening is a huge skill. Mm -hmm. But to be an active listener, um, most of us, when we, when we, other people think we're listening, what we're really doing is we're thinking of our resp- our next uh, answer, the uh-huh. next thing that we're going to say. Mm-hmm. So we're not even focused on what the other person is saying. But to really listen means uh, to take it all in, to not be thinking of how we're going to be responding, but just to be listening to that answer and absorbing it. And when I say listen with your heart, I mean more than just your intellect. Yes, your intellect, yes. for sure. But are there things that are being said with body language or with emotion or things that are there below the surface? And this takes some emotional intelligence. It takes... Uh, some experience, but just to open yourself up to the possibility that what you're hearing verbally is like the tip of the iceberg. Yes. There's usually a lot more mm-hmm. underneath the surface. And, surface. and, I, and I see myself almost like a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, you know, I'm, I want to excavate the conversation by digging deeper and digging under the surface and prying a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's the mm-hmm. that's the use of other questions where you can ask and go yes. deeper and sometimes ask those emotional questions of what's what's the why behind what they're saying. 
All right. So after you open up with a question, then you want to listen with your heart. Not just listen, but listen with your heart. What is the seventh strategy? Seventh is be aware of how much you're talking. <laughs> Should we star that one? Maybe uh, highlight it in yellow. I know. And you. we've been with those leaders before. And we've I've probably been, been that, that leader. <laughs> before. I've been in those conversations where I later think, I totally I, dominated. <laughs> I've talked way too much. Yeah. And you're not learning when your mouth's open. No. You know, and so to... Okay, that could bear repeating right there. <laughs> Can I take that home and use that? <laughs> but, to, but to really become aware, to become more self-aware, you know, what's the give and the take here uh, mm-hmm. in this conversation? And am I talking too much? Mm-hmm. Or am I talking about right? What's the right, right proportion? Which really leads us into the next strategy. Yeah, the next strategy is to hit the ball back over the net. Um, a good friend of mine said that a great conversation is like a game of ping pong. Uh-huh. And so you hit the ball over the net, and then the other person hits the ball over the net. And by the way, this is the, the essence of a good interview also. Yes. And this is kind of a metaphor I've used for uh, interviewing other people. And so uh, you have to learn to talk in sound bites. You know, you can't just sort of thread a series of soliloquies together and call it a conversation. Mm. So to hit it back over the net... You know, hopefully, if they're a good conversationalist, they'll hit it back to you, give you a chance to respond. And so it goes back and forth, back and forth. You actually do a very good job of this. Even as we do our podcast, you're very good at keeping it to short sound bites and then throwing it back over. So Mm. I've watched that. But I'm sure that's a skill you've learned over time. Well, it is a skill. And and, and I will say that that I've had a lot of media training and needed a lot of media training. Um, I didn't get it the first time I went through it. But that was one of the things that I was told over and over again by my uh, media coach, Joe Robertson. And he just said, look, when you're on the air, first of all, it's not about you. It's about the host. You know, True. their show. True. And so you you can't just keep going. You've got to come up for air. You've got to give them a chance to respond. Yeah. And so you've got to say it succinctly. And so he said to us, you know, you don't want your answer to be more than about 20 or 30 seconds long before you yield That's the microphone. That's good. That's good advice. What was so, that coach's name? Can Joel I get Robertson. his number? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you can. What a great, what a great piece of advice. Okay, so hit the ball back over the net. What would be the ninth strategy? Ninth strategy would be ask follow-up questions. Now, the easy thing, Michelle, is to ask that first question. Mm-hmm. And then the other person responds. You feel like you've done your duty. Now it's my chance for my monologue. <laughs> But, but the, and you're like chomping at the bit. Trying that's to right. Just <laughs> talk. hurry up and answer the question. Uh, so, so it can, can be my turn. Yes, it can be my turn. But, but the artful thing to do as a conversationalist or leading these conversations within your organization is to ask that second question. And yes. the only way you can do this, this isn't a technique. It's not a manipulation. But you just got to cultivate curiosity. Okay. You got to be really curious. You got to be fascinated with that other person. Mm-hmm. What is it behind that? You know, so like if you don't know anything else to ask, one question you could always ask is, what's important about that mm-hmm. to you? So the person gives you an answer and you say, wow, well, why is that important to you? Mm-hmm. Or what's important about that? Anything about that will drive the conversation uh, Just deeper. a little bit deeper. A little bit deeper. And not to mention, it shows that you're so interested in listening with yes. your heart that you're engaged with what they're saying. And I think the real challenge, and uh, Megan does a great job of this, uh, my oldest daughter, but to ask not just the first question or the second one, but to go to the third question. Uh-huh. If you do that, people will walk away from that conversation thinking, oh my gosh, that person is awesome. Mm-hmm. They got you talking about yourself, yes. which for all of us is our favorite subject. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. Let's just be frank. Thank you for that. <laughs> 
All right. So let's move on. Let's recap really quick before, because we're almost at number 10. So these 10 strategies for creating and leading transformational conversations. The first, select a topic. Number two, create a list of possible questions related to the topic. Three, create an environment that's safe for dissent. Four, set a time frame. Five, open up the question. Six, listen with your heart. Seven, be aware of how much you're talking. Eight, hit the ball back over the net. Nine, ask follow-up questions. Take that conversation deeper. And 10 is? Provide positive feedback. Uh Even if you disagree with Mm -hmm. what the other person is saying, and I've had this conversation many times where the person was responding with something that I may have violently disagreed with. Um, I I remember a conversation I had with my brother-in-law about a topic politically. I totally, I was diametrically opposed to what he was saying Mm -hmm. in every way. And I felt it viscerally. Mm -hmm. So there was even emotion involved. Emotion too, yes. But I provided positive feedback. And one of the best ways to do that is simply to repeat the answer that they've said in your own words, Uh but to make sure that you understand it. Because the truth is, when we're just talking to people who agree with us, Uh. we're not really learning. No, we aren't. I mean, it's comfortable, yeah. but it's not really challenging. And honestly, if we all agree all the time, we're not really going deeper either. We're not going deeper. And I, I used to love early in my career and you know, in my 20s and 30s, I'd love to get people together with like-minded people. Then I discovered that when I was with people that I disagreed with, that was even more stimulating. Mm. But you've got to provide the positive yes. feedback. And this is what you don't see on TV when you're seeing people who disagree. You know, they're, they're obviously shouting, oftentimes shouting over one another and not listening to one another and not providing positive feedback. I mean, when was the last time you heard two people on TV who disagreed with one another? Somebody would say, you know, that's a fair point. Or that's something I didn't consider before. Or <laughs> I don't even, I don't think I've ever seen that happen. No, I don't think I've seen that happen either. But it ought to happen in normal, ordinary yes. conversations where we affirm that other person, you know, because the truth is we don't have all the mm-hmm. right perspectives. We don't have uh, all the right points. Sometimes peop- other people who diff- differ with us culturally or politically or theologically even will make points that we ought to consider. Uh-huh. And we can acknowledge that and it will advance the conversation. Not to mention our own kind of awareness of the world and our own intelligence and yeah. uh, ability to relate to different people. Fantastic. Okay, so for the person who, okay, we've given a good list of strategies for creating and leading those transformational conversations. But, you know, you started back at topics. So I want to talk about the person who doesn't even know where to begin, doesn't know topics. We mentioned the cards, but what are just some general, and I know I'm putting you on the spot, some general topics that are always good to talk about? Well, you can always talk about the frustrations or the problems that the organization or the family unit or whatever else is is facing and just discuss that together as a yes. group. Now, we did this as a very structured thing when I was leading Thomas Nelson. So once a quarter, we would have our leadership uh, meeting, and this was our 70 vice presidents. We would put them together in one room. Uh, we would start the conversation with just an update of what we had done the last quarter. So every quarter, we're getting together. We have a short update that includes okay. the financial performance of the company for the last quarter. And then we had a series of questions. We had people sitting in round tables of eight. And then we had a table coach, which was one of the, my direct reports sitting okay. at each table. And their, and their sole job was not to lecture everybody else at the table, but to facilitate the discussion. And we used an agreed upon set of questions beforehand. Okay. So now all of a sudden we're discussing in small groups, we have a, some pro- business problem that we're trying to solve, some real live issue. This isn't hypothetical, but some issue that we were facing. Uh, for example, we were in the process of trying to digitize our backlist. And that may sound like 
gobbledygook for people that don't know the publishing business. But all the books that we had in print, we were trying to turn those into uh, digital books, like Kindle okay. books, so mm-hmm. that we could sell them in a digital format. So there were a lot of approaches that we could take, but we threw that question uh, open to the group. So we had all these different groups of eight working on it. So that was one conversation. Then I facilitated a larger discussion where all 70, we'd have people standing up and we had somebody running microphones to anybody that wanted to talk. Again, one conversation. But then people would share the best insights from their table. Mm -hmm. So that facilitated a larger discussion. And we would go over the course of about two hours. We'd do maybe five or six questions like that. And... It was incredible. Again, we, we created this shared ownership. Uh, we used our best thinking mm-hmm. to solve the problem. And I think everybody left there feeling like there was this cohesiveness as a team that we didn't have before we walked in the room. That's great. Now, you mentioned kind of one of the topics that you said you can always talk about what's uh, what you're frustrated with, what you're struggling with within mm-hmm. the organization. But isn't it risky at times to open up that kind of conversation to the team? So in other words, because it's unscripted, uh, it can turn extremely negative, mm-hmm. and yet you want to create safety for that. But how do you keep it from being like this huge negative coup that kind of takes over your meeting? Or does yeah. that matter? Well, it, it, it does matter, but it's all what you do to direct it. I would rather get it out than to drive it underground. Okay. So let people express it. Again, use all the same strategies that we've been talking about, listening with your heart. Mm-hmm. Let somebody express it. Acknowledge them. Let them know it's safe for dissent. You get it. Yes. Ask a few more questions to drive it uh, deeper. What's really happening in that when you're getting those the, those repeated issues where people are repeating the same answers over and over, what they're really doing is testing to see if you get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and once they know you get it and you're going to take it seriously, they'll usually drop it. Okay. Now, it depends a little bit on your history and your credibility with that yes. group. But, but once you demonstrate you get it, then you can drop it and begin to turn it toward a positive outcome. If you try to do that too soon, yes. it looks like you're trying to gloss it over, okay. like, you're, like you're in denial. Mm-hmm. But if you let it really sink in and make sure the group has processed that and adequately processed it, then, then your job as a leader is to turn that conversation and say, okay, great. Now, let's all take a deep breath okay. uh, because we, we, we don't just want to live in the status quo. All of us have agreed this is a problem we want to improve. What does this make possible? Okay. So, how... so you're really turning the tide of the conversation right. from negative to positive. And that's, again, that's leadership. Yes, yes. You know, otherwise you're just kind of caught up in this drifting conversation and you're just caught in the drift with everybody else. Well, you don't want to end this meeting with just everybody dumping everything that's wrong. So you no. got to somehow turn it towards something, like acknowledge it without glossing totally. over it, yep. but then turn the conversation to what it makes possible or let's talk about solutions or what can we do? Make it constructive. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. So powerful outside of an organization and in the family as well. I mean, there's other, I'm thinking yeah. of how this applies and could be so powerful in multiple ways. Well, and sometimes people will just test you because they want to see if you're taking it seriously and yes. they might remain cynical because yes. frankly, cynicism is, is a way to not have any risk. It's a self-protective thing. Well, you're just thing. like, yeah, exactly. Self-protective. You're shut down and That's you don't right. want to have to feel vulnerable. So you... And, and sometimes if you have people that persist in that, I mean, some people have decades of mm-hmm. that as a learned behavior, a learned way to respond. I've had to go to some of those people one-on-one and just say, look, I just want to talk to you about something. I don't know if you're aware of it, but it really comes across as cynicism, and here's what I see. And you may not intend it that way, and I definitely don't want you to be the Pollyanna and just gloss over it, but i got to have you work with me. Uh-huh. You know, it's, 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 this, this is not an environment that's safe for cynicism. Mm-hmm. Safe for dissent, but it's not safe for cynicism. Because those are two very different things. Two very different things. One is dissent is 
uh, and this is how I see it, but you let me know. Dissent would be disagreeing um, for the sake of the relationship in the organization that you just yeah. disagree. And so you're still working for the best interest. Cynicism is just almost like a, it's a wound. Yeah. It's, it's like, like there's no answer something. that can satisfy the cynic. It's just for the sake of venting. Yeah. They don't, they don't really want a solution. And there's a lot of times where people get a sense of significance from creating drama yes. and being the lone dissenter. Yes. You know, I've known one or two people like that. I know. We, we all <laughs> I mean, have. it happens. Yes. And so I think you just have to go to the, those people one-on-one and just kind of call it out and work with them and try to get them to move off the cynicism. There have been situations where I've had to fire somebody just because their cynicism because of that, was attitude. incorrigible. They could, I couldn't do anything with it. Yeah. And that's so critical. And it was poison. But the point is, is that when you get in those situations where it starts to be negative or whatever, you want to acknowledge it because it's some kind of valid concern. They want to be heard. But yep. then redirect the conversation towards something constructive. And that's how you can stay on task in creating and leading these transformational right. conversations. Well, if you enjoyed today's conversation, you can get all the show notes and a full transcript of the entire episode at michaelhyatt.com. And if you'd prefer to watch rather than just listen, we also have the entire video posted at michaelhyatt.com. And can you do us a favor today before you go? I'd love for you to take about 30 seconds and head over to iTunes and rate the program. This is huge for us. It's really the only way that we can get this content into as many hands as possible. And there are people that really would love to to have this kind of information. So thanks for helping us out. So any final thoughts today, Michael? Yeah, you know, conversation, leading transformational conversations is an art. Yes. The more you do it, the better you'll get at it. Mm -hmm. See, every encounter is an opportunity to do just that, to not just uh, let the conversation sort of take its natural course, mm -hmm. but to lead it in a direction that's helpful uh, for you and for the other person and meaningful for both of you. Wonderful. Well, thank you for being with us today. Until next time, remember, your life is a gift. Do what matters.